I didn't realize. I was talking to, ooh, talking to Roy and Annette earlier. I didn't realize when Jeff mentioned the shooting this morning what had happened. Um, it just broke my heart to go into a, a gay bar and just kill 50 people and wound another 50, I think it was, some in that area. Um, my heart just breaks. I don't care who the people are. People matter. And, um, you know, I was thinking, of course, you know, the struggle we've had with my youngest son coming out as, as gay. And we've uh, gotten to know a couple of people in the gay community. And obviously, we don't agree with that lifestyle and everything. But it doesn't mean the people, all people are made in God's image. They just... Without the power of God and His Spirit, they miss Him. And I guess God just wants to break our hearts to see people as needing Him more than anything. Regardless of what they're in, what matters is who they are. Made in the image of God and needing His salvation. And our call as a church to reach out. So, uh, and I pray in a minute, I definitely want us to lift up those families, that God will speak to those families and minister to them and to the people who are wounded as well. Tonight, I, we're just this studying real heroes, not the kind of glamorous heroes that you know come through the media and Hollywood, but real heroes in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. And Tonight, we want to look at the first vanishing as we look at uh, wonderful man of God by the name of Enoch. So let's turn to Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. And if you will stand in God's honor. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's pray. Master, we are in grave need of you. We always have been and we always will be, Lord. Thank you. You have provided the lifeline in Jesus Christ. Thank you for Enoch. Once he had a child, he walked with you 300 years and then just vanished. But you know where he was the whole time, Lord. Walking with you on into eternity. Father, thank you for what you have given through Christ Jesus. Forgiveness and fellowship curtain torn in two so that no longer we are separated but we can enter directly into your presence Lord what a gift and Father I pray that you Father might um, speak through my weak attempt at words and may your Holy Spirit be clearly speaking instead Lord to us and Father I do lift up the families that are involved in this shooting and God it breaks my heart your intention is not to destroy. Matter of fact, we're told that's the devil's work. The thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But the Lord Jesus has come 
that we might have life more abundantly or life to the full. I pray, Father, you might reveal yourself to those families so they might see what full life is, Lord. And they might discover a Savior that died for all, Lord. And I just uh, pray you lead us in our time together. I thank you for this wonderful fellowship of believers that have been a blessing to me and my family. And Father, we just want to know you. So speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Many times, God has to get a person's attention before that person turns to the Lord. When I was in seminary, I was an intern in a church, and I did the CWT, which basically the Southern Baptist took the EE, you know, from D. James Kennedy back in those days, and, and uh, closely uh, used that material. Anyway, I was part of that training, and my partner was a guy named Sid Hill, very interesting character. He obviously had the gift of evangelism. Every time I was with Sid and you were around somebody, he seemed to always turn the subject to Jesus almost immediately. Uh, you know, it's like, wow. You know, I was just amazed. And uh, I asked Sid his story because he walked like Festus. You know, with a hitch and a get-along, as they used to say. And... Uh, Sid told me that uh, he was a gifted athlete, was an all-American baseball player in high school, and he played for uh, Texas Tech. And uh, he would go to church on Sundays. The Saturday night, he'd party with his friends and get drunk as a skunk. And he kept this up for a while. And one night, uh, they were drunk, and they were riding at high speed, lost control of the car. Hit a, I don't remember if it was a tree or a telephone pole, but um, Sid was in a coma for, it was a number of days. And when he came out of that coma, they told him he would probably be paralyzed. And he told me, he said, at that moment, I said, God, for some reason, I'm still here. If you will allow me to be able to walk, I'll walk for you. You will allow me to speak clearly. I'll speak for you. And he said, so that's what I'm trying to do. God used something horrific to get his attention. Um, my wife's favorite preacher uh, when we met was a guy named John MacArthur. I mean, you've probably heard John MacArthur. He's been, he is a wonderful Bible teacher. There was an interview, his 40th anniversary at his church, where he preaches, and they asked him about his testimony, and he said that when he was in college, similar type of story. They, a bunch of his friends, they had been drinking, going about 80 miles an hour, the car flips over. John was the only one thrown out of the car, and he said he slid down the road beside the car that was spinning, and uh, he didn't break any bones, but it all, uh, he had asphalt on his back and was almost to the bone. It removed almost all of his skin. He was in the hospital for a long period of time. He said it was terrible, but it brought him where he needed to be, where God wanted him. Sometimes God will take a painful situation to bring us where he wants us to be. You know, you go to a funeral and sometimes you hear such wonderful things about the person that you wonder, did I 
get the right name on here? Am I in the right place? Um, because as we come, we want to honor the memory of a person. But when you really get into the memory of a person, you know, what you want to hear is not, you know, how much money did the person have? You know, what neighborhood did they live in? You know, what kind of um, job did they have? No, you, you want to know something that matters. What kind of person that they were? How they treated their family? And ultimately, you want to know, were they ready to die? Did they work things out with that truth that you're going to die, so be ready? You know, Ecclesiastes 7.1, it's a great memory verse. It says, um, a good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Why is the day of death better than the day of birth? Because for the one who walks with God, you've already preached your funeral. You've already lived for what is important and what matters and what lasts, not what passes. And and that's what people look for. And I believe that still, even though, um, you know, we don't hear that through the airwaves. I think people are still looking for something of substance. They still want to know those big answers. What is life about? Where can I really find someone who loves me completely? Where can I find hope? Where can I find the strength that I need? Well, one of these guys that are listed in the Hall of Fame of Hebrews 11, a guy by the name of Enoch, is a wonderful hero, a wonderful example of what matters. He preached his funeral. We're going to look at three passages to piece together his biography. Um, Of course, he's mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. He is also mentioned in the book of Jude, which is just one chapter, so I don't quote chapter verse. Uh, Verse 14 and 15 is a description. And then in Genesis chapter 5. And so we want to piece together, as I've done on this outline, some truths that we discover about Enoch from these scriptures. First truth in the outline, Enoch was the seventh generation from Adam. And for that, let's go to the book of Jude. That little book, it's after 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Then you have Jude right before Revelation. Notice there in verse 14, it says, Enoch, the seventh generation, or the seventh from Adam, it says in, in this text. It's the seventh generation from Adam. Now, if you look at this, seventh from Adam, well, what's the significance of the family tree? I mean, was it a matter of he was from royal stock, like the Mayflower family or the Rockefellers or the Kennedys, you know, and all that kind of stuff, a, a distant relative? Matter of fact, we uh, went out to eat last night with Matthew and Devin and Daniel and Atticus. And Matthew said, I've been looking into our family tree. He said, do you know who we're related to? Well, I was hoping to hear maybe Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, or G. Campbell Morgan, or, you know, some of these guys, Joseph Parker, that God inflamed. He said, Charles Darwin. 
I know, come on. I, I've got to verify that, you know. I'm not, but anyway, <laughs> that's not where I was hoping to hear. But, but the, the, the specific point here is not, you know, the type of family tree that he came from. Although there is significance that we'll find here in the family tree. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 5. As we'll look at the significance of this. It's interesting as you parallel in Genesis chapter 5. You have Cain's family tree. The seventh generation of Cain, as you look down through here, we discover is a guy named Lamech. In chapter 5, we read about Seth's family tree. Seventh generation that we read about is Enoch. These guys could not be more different. And the parallel is really a parallel of life, of reputation, of of how we are to live. Because you have Lamech, the descendant of Cain. He was the epitome of the ungodly. Matter of fact, let's look in chapter 4, verse 19. We read about him. It says, Lamech married two women. One named Ada and the other Zillah. So this guy was the first one to have more than one wife. He, he, he started polygamy. So, so much for the family, so much for monogamy. Uh, also in verse 23, it said, Lamech said to his wives, Adam, so listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. So he brags. What's he brag about? I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. He's sharing how macho he is and how he was able to take the life of another man. Look at verse 24. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. He's multiplying how much greater his sin is than his ancestor Cain. He was bragging about being the baddest of dudes. Not much to brag about. Compare that in the seventh line of Seth to Enoch. Who represents those who followed God instead of those who defied God. Enoch who represents justification from God. Instead of Lamech who was only about himself who would discover eternal judgment. The seventh line. Secondly, Enoch was the father of Methuselah. Chapter 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now, 
Let's go back to Jude. I should have warned you. Kind of keep your fingers on Jude and Genesis. There's an important point here as we go back to Jude. 14. Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. So he's a prophet. Enoch was a prophet. See what he prophesied. This means he received divine revelation from God. And and he was the spokesman of God. See the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. To judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their advantage. He walked with God and he told the truth about those who walked in sin. He said what is almost absent in our culture today is not a mistake. It's not just a wrong turn or a bad decision. It's a heart that's sinful. And then that's what he preached. That's the revelation that he shared. And he said as a result of this, guys, there's a coming judgment. Wow. A judgment that God will bring because of sinful hearts. And this prophet, this speaker of God, named his boy Methuselah. Which means when he is dead, it will come. Isn't that interesting? Methuselah's name means when he is dead, it will come. What will come? Judgment. When he is dead... It will come. Judgment is on the way. So what he had here was a son that was born to him. And what God declared was, when this life's son is over, look out for judgment will fall. So he was a barometer of God's mercy, of God's grace, of God's patience. It's interesting, as you look through the book of Genesis and as you tie together the timelines of people's lives, we see Adam was born in the first year of creation on the sixth day that Adam lived 930 years. There are some that believe in those early days before it rained, there was a water canopy in the atmosphere that would create a greenhouse effect, watering the earth and with heavy dew daily until it rained. And, and of course, they didn't understand when the floods came what, what was about to transpire because rain hadn't been to that point. And as you study down through the text in Genesis chapter 5, you read about one of the patriarchs named Jared who was born 460 years after Adam. And, and often we don't think about the fact these people lived often eight 900 years. They all knew each other. And had been together for many, many years and knew each other well. And for Enoch to leave at 365 years old, he was a young cat. 365. When you live to 900, what, 30s? You know, however. Um, And although we're not given details about 
exactly how he spoke and, and how he preached, we know it dealt with that judgment. And we know that there's no record of how long Methuselah would live. He may have thought, man, these guys, are, they're so wicked. This boy's only going to live a few hours. The judgment of God would fall or a couple of days. Surely not more than a few months. And yet, isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? That the man who lived the longest in the Bible is the one upon when his life ended, judgment would fall. What that says about the mercy of God What that says about the patience of God. How he doesn't want to bring judgment. But how he's waiting and he wants to bring repentance. How he desperately wants to see people turn to him. Um, It's interesting in Genesis 9.28. Noah had lived 600 years before the flood came. And for 350 years after the flood came. (laughs) And this great verse Genesis 9.28 gives us that wonderful insight. And we also learn as we piece together that the year would be um, 1656, if you follow the account and bring the numbers um, together. And it's interesting as you piece all this together, you also discover that at the death of Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old, that as you study the scriptures, the two match up. When the flood came was the time when um, Methuselah, his death was at hand. His death was at hand. All right, uh, third, um, Enoch walked with God. You know, it's interesting. Um, We always think about Enoch, we think he always walked with God. It's kind of the picture I got, you know. Uh, Enoch walked with God and he was no more. And so there's this idea that I guess he always had it together. I guess he came out of the mama's womb quoting scripture, you know. But the truth of the matter is we don't receive that insight. We hear that he walked with God 300 years after the birth of his son. So often that happens. Guy's wild, not following God. But when the miracle of a child comes along, it's like, wow. And suddenly there's a realization, uh, I need to change. Reminds me of the story of a guy that he just drank away everything his family had. (laughs) And one night his, his son was like four years old. Decided he was going to go to the tavern down the road, and it was snowing. And he said he heard a voice, and he turned around, and it was his four-year-old son, and he's jumping to land in his father's footsteps in the snow. And he said, "What are you doing?" He said, "Look, Daddy, I'm big enough to walk in your steps." And that crushed him. And he turned around and he said, well, then I better walk better than this. And he walked back home. 
Something that often happens. And it was at this point in Enoch's life. He walked with God 300 years. Ken Hughes in his commentary on the Old Testament and Enoch in particular. He says. uh, The Old Testament distinguishes between people who walk before God. And those who walk after God. And those who walk with God. Literally. By the side. We're not told about any other issues in his life. We're just told that after the birth of his son for 300 years, he walked with God. Um, What does it take? What does it take to walk with God? Um, Walking requires to be together, to be in step. Um, We have to agree on the same destination. We're not going to walk together if we're going to two different places. You know, you say, I want to walk around the block five times. And I say, well, I want to walk over to Bojangles and get me a bow biscuit and some tea. Um, well, I feel really sorry for you. I'm going to enjoy my bow biscuit and tea while you walk around the block. But we don't walk together because we're not going to the same destination. Or secondly, we can't walk unless we're at the same speed or the same pace. If I come over to your house and I knock on the door... And I say, let's go walking together. You say, sure. I take off walking and not wait for you. (laughs) We're not at the same pace. And we're not walking together. And we're not enjoying fellowship with one another. It requires walking at the same pace. And so walking with God requires going where he is. (laughs) To walk in the direction he calls us to walk. And to walk at that same pace as he leads us. Not to try to get too far ahead of him or too far behind him. But to walk beside him. And to walk with him. And that brings us to verse 6 of Hebrews 11. In our text. What a great verse. Um, By faith Enoch. Well that's verse 5. Without faith. It is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Enoch began with a faith that said, there's a God. He believed in the existence of God. And God says, you can't please me if you think I'm just a fantasy character, a cartoon. (laughs) You have to believe that I am real. He's not talking about saving faith. He's talking about sanctifying faith. The faith of walking with God as one who is precious. In walking in a truth that God exists. And it's more than just an idea up here. It's a matter of it comes out of my life. Where others can testify that I do care about God. And that I do walk with God. Second perspective here in verse 6 is um, not only believing that God exists, that he's alive and well, but that he's actually involved in our lives. That he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This letter was written to Hebrew Christians who were suffering, who were impoverished. 
where they often may have thought God doesn't care about me. He's forgotten me. Think about Enoch. He walked with God for 300 years in an ungodly generation. He was mocked, called all kinds of names. He certainly had his critics, and yet he continued to walk with God, and he believed God was there, and he was involved in his life. Matter of fact, if you look between Enoch and then Noah before the judgment occurred, that's an evangelistic career more than 400 years of preaching about a coming judgment. And as far as we can tell, it didn't seem that their preaching had much impact because a flood came and it said that everybody just cared about what was right in their own eyes instead of what God had to say. All they cared about were themselves and their sin. It was not a legacy of walking with God. It was a legacy of walking in sin. What he preached against and about. Thomas Manton, a Puritan pastor of 1800. The Puritans really had a gift for um, long sermons. So I guess you guys, I guess we're, I guess you guys are fortunate. Uh, he wrote a book um, that had to deal with Enoch, seven hundred pages. We got three texts, and he wrote seven hundred pages, so you know he could do some. Uh, Uh, preaching for sure he shared five ideas about how to work up your faith and walk with god i want to communicate with you number one he said you work up your walk of faith by way of meditation he wrote there's nothing you prize that you don't allow your mind to run upon do you think about heaven do you think about god's promises Do you think about God's blessings? Do you think about He loves you? Do you think about His plan? Do you think about how much we need Him? Whatever you love, that's what you think about. Secondly, He said, work up your walk of faith by way of argumentation. And He's not talking about picking a fight. Go out there and pick a fight with somebody who doesn't believe in God. Actually, what he's talking about is learn to actually argue with yourself when you would wonder or doubt. Get into the Word of God and commit your mind to those promises of truth. I remember years ago reading about a guy that said when he'd have doubts, he would go stand in front of the mirror and he would tell God about his problem and how it was so big and so impossible that nobody could help him. And then he'd say, you are an idiot. We're talking about God. No problem is too big for God. Nothing is beyond His reach. So it's a sense of argumentation of, what are you doing? Why are you worrying? This is the God who knows the number of heads on your hair, the number that used to be there. (laughs) Or the, you know, the color they are, the color they used to. He knows it all. And we can place our trust in Him. Third, Work up your walk of faith by way of supplication. We have a God who invites us to talk to him about it. And I've always loved that. And honestly, through the years, I have seen God, and you have too, I'm sure, answer prayers 
It's almost comical sometimes, even the little things. I, I was listening to Rick Warren the other week, and he said a lady come up to him and said, should I pray about the small things? Should I talk to God about the little things? And Rick said, why not? Think about it. There are no big things to God. They're all little anyway. You know, how many times do I lose something? My keys or whatever. I wear myself out trying to find it and I stop and say, okay, Lord, I'm sorry I haven't asked you till now, but could you please help me find it? And I do. Anyway, God invites us to pray. We should pray. Fourth, work up your walk of faith by way of dedication. He writes, do not men strive in war to step higher in the world? Do they not rise early and go to bed late only to maintain their frail lives that are crumbling to dust? It is an idea of let's live for what matters. And then fifth, we work up our faith by means of expectation. We look for it. I love that in Titus 2.13. It says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Expect it. With a sense of awe and belief that he's coming. All right, we're back to our outline here of, of number four. He warned of coming judgment. Back in Jude, verse 14, it says, The Lord's coming with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all of the ungodly deeds done by the ungodly. Wow. We know in the fullest record of Revelation, as we have been looking at in the mornings over the past number of weeks, of judgment that will come in those end times and here we have Enoch, who is a prophet, who has been preaching about a coming judgment. And in this case, it was a judgment of a flood that was going to come and mankind would be wiped off the earth through flooding. And the warning is watching the sun, Methuselah. You know, it makes you wonder every time Methuselah might have caught a cold. Maybe people perk up and go to church, you know, and kind of keep an eye on him. By the time Methuselah turns 850 years old, well, Enoch's already gone on to be with the Lord. God comes to Noah and tells him, it's time to start building this ark because my judgment is coming. Uh, Methuselah, the living illustration. Isn't it? Uh, it, It's just amazing to me that the oldest one would be the one to demonstrate that mercy of God. 940 years old. Just go through an outline of what it might have felt like. Here's Methuselah, 940. Noah and his family working on the inside of the ark. And they're creating compartments, food storage areas. And here's Methuselah, 967 years old. Noah hangs the door on the hinges of that massive ark. 968, Noah and his family pack the ark with food. Methuselah turns 969 and animals start appearing in pairs <laughs> as the ark is finished and is being boarded. As the family walks onto the ark, they get news. Grandpa Methuselah has just died. 
Amen. I feel something falling from the heavens. Wow. God's coming. Judgment. The sound of thunder. The sound of rain. All right. Um, Enoch was the first human being to vanish from sight, taken into God's presence without dying. Back in Hebrews 11, verse 5, it it tells us, By faith Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Uh, It's the same Greek word that means snatched away, which is the picture in Thessalonians of the rapture, of meeting our Lord in the air, and it is a picture of the Lord taking him up to meet him. He suddenly vanished, but we know where he was. He was with the living God. His family might out search parties. They might have thought, hey, there's foul play with that wicked side of the family that probably has caused this kind of pain. And at the time, maybe they didn't immediately piece it together. But we know from God's truth and his word, it was the mercy of God that God and Enoch walked together. (laughs) And then he went home with God. I love it. uh, The story of a Sunday school teacher with her five-year-old class. And she'd been teaching them about, how do you get to heaven? What do you have to do to go to heaven? So she gets the class together and, and... you know, she says to him, if I sold my house and I sold my car and I had a big garage sale and gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And all these five-year-olds yell, no! And then she, she smiles real big and, and then she says, if I cleaned the church every day, if I mowed the church lawn, kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? Again, these kids yell, no! So then she tries one more time. Starting to smile. She says, if I was kind to animals and I gave candy to children and I loved my husband, would I get into heaven? No! By this time, she's just bursting with pride. And so she directly asked the kids, what do you have to do to get into heaven? And this one little five-year-old boy said, you got to die! Well, Enoch didn't do it the traditional way, did he? He got to heaven without going through that doorway called death. Warren Wearsby wrote this in his commentary. He said, Enoch had been walking with God for so many years that his transfer to heaven wasn't even an interruption. His legacy is that he walked with God and that he actually walked away with God. Wow. Boy, isn't that something to want? I know, like, I know you feel like I do. God, I would love to be able to, to walk with the Lord in such a way that, that going to glory, it wouldn't even be an interruption. It would just be a natural next step in the walk. Man, what a, what a beautiful way to express that. In G. Campbell Morgan's biography, uh, who was an expositor in the 1900s in England, here's a quote from the book, uh, his book, says, a little girl came home from Sunday school after hearing the story of Enoch. She said, Mother, 
We heard about a wonderful man today in Sunday school. The sensible mother let her child tell what she'd heard. His name was Enoch. And you know, mother, he used to go for walks with God. The mother responded, that's wonderful. But how does the story end? Oh, one day they walked on and on. And they got so far, God said to Enoch, you are a long way from home now. You might as well come on to my home and stay with me. Amen. And so ends the man who left us a legacy, who modeled what it means to walk away with God after walking with him. And I guess the heartbeat of his followers, your heartbeat, my heartbeat, is to walk with God where it won't be even an interruption. Let's pray. Master, we are grateful for this hero that we, Father, have remembered. Enoch, who walked with God and then walked away with God. And Father, we are torn because we know ourselves, Lord. Empower us to walk with you, God. To walk closer. We know salvation comes through the work of Christ. But we also know you long for us to commune with you. To daily walk with you. And Father I pray you grab a hold of our hearts. That we may long to walk close. Pull us near Lord. Because we wander off. We're grateful for the testimony of Enoch. And Father I pray that you would work in our lives in such a way. That people would look at us and say. He walks with God. She walks with God. Draw us to you, Master. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.